Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20. Glory to you, O Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Well, as soon as I started thinking about leading worship and preaching this Easter Sunday, I couldn't not think about the fact that this, as it turns out, 36th Easter Sunday of mine as a preacher and worship leader would be entirely, entirely, entirely unlike any of those first 35 when doors were flung open and parking lots and pews were packed and choir lofts were full and alleluias were chorused by hundreds gathered shoulder to shoulder midst the mingled aroma of not just lilies, but also the coffee bakes which we packed the fellowship hall to enjoy crowded around common tables. 
Not this year, I thought to myself, getting ready for this Easter morning. This year would be nothing like those other 35 years, I thought to myself. Indeed, I thought to myself, getting a bit grandiose perhaps, but I thought to myself that this Easter, as far as the whole darn world is concerned, may well be like no Easter ever before. Except, well, what then I thought to myself is that, in fact, there was that one Easter that had a lot in common with this one, that Easter being the very first one. Where at the beginning of the story, Jesus' disciples are not even around to be mentioned, but rather are sheltering in place. And so, in John's telling, the first person we meet is Mary Magdalene, Mary who loved Jesus and traveled with Jesus and had followed him to the very end, followed him to the mocking and the spitting and the beating and the flogging and the nailing and the bleeding and the dying, and who now, early on that very first Easter morning, now followed him to his tomb. In John's telling, alone, socially distanced for grief. But when she got to the tomb, she saw that the large stone at the front of the tomb had been rolled aside. And of course, she immediately knew what had then happened. And so she immediately turned and ran to find Simon Peter and that other disciple, the one described in John's gospel as the one whom Jesus loved, that one perhaps being John. They, both of whom, I said, were sheltered in place, seemingly at the same place with each other, but it's not entirely clear. But what John will go on to make clear is that the reason they were sheltered in place behind walls and shuttered windows and doors that were locked was fear. Fear of what was going around out there. Fear that the awful death which had come out of the dark to find and have its way with Jesus would come out of the dark to find and have its way with them too. But Mary knew where they were sheltered, and so she ran and she found them, and she told them what she knew that she knew. That being that Jesus' body had been stolen from the tomb and taken to nobody knew where. Peter and the other disciple then ran to see for themselves with their own eyes. But unlike Mary, when they got there and saw the stone rolled away, they didn't run away from the tomb, but rather kept running into the tomb to look into it and even go into it, then to see that Mary was right. The body wasn't there. Then the two of them, since unlike Mary, they actually went into the tomb, also something else, saw something else that Mary hadn't even, hadn't even thought of thinking she'd seen. That being that the two pieces of linen cloth which had wrapped his head and his body for burial were still there. Seeing what they saw, John then says, they believed. Although as you read it, it seems pretty clear that what they believed wasn't that he was risen and that it was Easter, but rather what they really seemed to have believed was, was Mary. As in, huh, she's right. His body isn't here. Must have been stolen. That they at that point believed that and didn't at that point believe more than that is the only way I know how to make sense of what it says they both of them did, then did next, which is to go home. Where the very next thing John will tell us about them a little later is that that day they remained 
sheltered in place behind locked doors and afraid. Notice at this point, what is right there in this story to be noticed, except I'm thinking maybe a lot of times we haven't noticed, that being that at this point, Mary and Peter and that other disciple, probably John, have all, with their own literal eyes, literally seen the literal stone rolled away from the literal tomb, literally to proclaim the miracle of Easter. But at this point in the story, not one of them had yet, in their heart or with the eyes of faith, actually seen that it was Easter. For the men at this point were still sheltered in fear. And Mary was still socially distanced in grief. At which point, John turns now again to his telling of the story to Mary, again grieving and alone, who now takes her turn to go into the tomb, only now to see that she wasn't alone. For now, sitting where his body had been were, says John, two angels, except that though she saw them with her eyes, she didn't see that they were angels. The book of Hebrews says that sometimes people do see angels for one reason or another and, and, and not realize that that's what they are, and I'm really quite inclined to believe that, actually quite inclined to believe that I've done that a time or ten, but I don't think that's what's going on this time, for Mary, in her grief, John tells us, is weeping. And there's not a thing wrong with tears. God bless the healing tears we've sometimes cried or will cry again because we need to, for tears sometimes are the only thing that can heal the things that they heal. But of course, tears can also blur our vision in more ways than one. And that seems to be what's going on here, since the angels then asked her why she was crying. And she then told them they took his body, and I don't know what they did with it. Notice, 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 notice still in the story, it still is, and even more so, I mean, angels are involved, it still is, and even more so, Easter morning. But it is still not yet Easter anywhere near Mary's broken heart. And so, still crying, she turns back from the tomb there in the garden to see another man, except she doesn't truly see him, for we know, because John just told us, that this man is Jesus, the one whose dead body she had been looking for, who is now standing right there in front of her, alive and well to be seen, except that with teared and swollen eyes, and thus teary, blurry vision, Mary assumes that whom she sees is the gardener of the garden. He then asks the same thing the angels had asked, Woman, why are you crying? For whom are you looking? She says, Sir, if you're the one who took him, tell me where and I'll take him away. Away, in her mind, surely meaning back to a tomb, right? If not this one, then, then another one. And he then just says one word, and the word is her name. Mary, he says. And the way he says it is the same tender way she'd heard him say it so many times before. And in that moment, it came to her. 
And by it, I mean Easter. Easter, whose name was Jesus, who not long ago at all she had heard say, I am the resurrection and the life, and who now, now, and she did see, was himself risen and alive. N.B. Note well, even standing on Easter ground zero, Mary did not find Easter. Easter, whose name was Jesus, instead came and found She turned to grab him. He said, no. What do you know? Another way the first Easter was like this one. No hugs. Except that in this case, the no hugs rule wasn't for fear, but for faithfulness. He, to his calling to do what was yet his to do, and hers to her calling, which was now hers to do, which was not in the garden to walk with him and talk with him and know that she was his own, but rather to leave the garden, to become the first one ever, this side of the angels, to say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Which she said to the disciples, ten of them anyway, would you know another way the first Easter was like this when the largest group mentioned is ten or less. Ten, not the usual twelve, because Thomas, for a reason we aren't told, wasn't there, and, and Judas, for a reason we were told, wasn't there either. And so not to the twelve, but to the ten, to that small group, not packed into church, but sheltered in place. She, she now, as the first ever Easter preacher and evangelist, said, I have seen the risen Lord. It is staggering, as a side note, I guess, that it took us as long as it did, more than 19 centuries, and for some others it is taking even longer, to bless the calling of women called to stand in our pulpits, to say Easter to us. Of course, even the very best preacher is only in control of what they say, not what is heard. And so even after Mary preached the very best and the very first and the very shortest Easter sermon ever, the ten believed not, which John confirms for us in the very next verse when he tells us that that whole day, the whole first ever Easter day, until still late in the day, they sheltered in place behind locked doors still, for they were afraid still, which means, note well what is right there to be noticed. Two of those ten had stood at Easter ground zero, the empty tomb, and all ten of the ten had heard an Easter eyewitness tell them that Jesus hadn't had his dead body stolen. He'd rather been raised from the dead, for it was indeed Easter. Alleluia! It just still wasn't yet Easter anywhere near their minds and hearts and fears. Which takes us to John 20, 19 to 20, the two verses that ended our reading this morning and which we will actually repurpose and use again to begin our reading next Sunday. John 20, 19 to 20, where on the evening of the day when the doors of the house where the ten 
were gathered are still locked for fear, it came to them. And by it, I mean Easter. And by Easter, I mean the risen Christ, who found them in their locked and sheltered and frightened place to say to them, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands in his side, which is to say his wounds, proving it was him, not his doppelganger. And then John tells us, finally then, not earlier, then, on the evening of that day, at last they were glad. And the gladness they were at last glad with was the gladness of Easter. Which takes us to today in this Easter, which is like no other Easter I've ever seen, but it turns out it is, in more than a few ways, quite a bit like that very first Easter ever seen. As we, in our groups of ten or less or one, gather only virtually, not literally, which, make no mistake, I'm grateful we can do, but it's not the same, right? Except one thing is the same. The same this Easter as last Easter and the first Easter. Jesus Christ is risen. And I don't mean virtually. I mean literally. Can I have an amen? Amen. Can I have an hallelujah? Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is risen. And risen, he promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which means, do you understand this? It means that this Easter is exactly like the first Easter, because this. We all are wherever we are. And it, and by it I mean Easter, and by Easter I mean the risen Christ, comes to us. You are right now where you are right now, and it, and by it I mean Easter, and by Easter I mean the risen Christ, comes to you whether you see him or not, whether you can hear him or not, whether the doors to your house or your heart are open or not, whether you believe or not, he is alive. And he comes to you. And right now, right now where you are, which is to where he is, he is saying your name. And he is saying, peace be with you. And he is saying, don't be afraid. Believe, for I am with you always. And sisters and brothers, he is Easter, which means that by always, he means forever. Amen.